You could stand at half cut and rep better than these guys. Oh, smart down, and it's called for another foul. Check, Taco. Come on. Taco's, Taco. Taco's having some fun here. And we are back with another episode of From the Raptors. Sam and I are here today with guest John Corrales of Locked On Celtics and Boston Sports Journal. Thank you so much for joining us on the show again, John. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good. Fantastic. Good. Thank you. Um, plenty of stuff to talk about in the Celtics realm. Obviously, the search for the head coach still going on, uh, everything with the offseason. But we just got to give a huge shout out to the Philadelphia 76ers to start the show. <laughs> I mean, just, just iconic, right? <laughs> Like, I mean, I caught the uh, end of the game. I was watching it halftime a little bit. I'm like, right, I'm just going to turn this off. It's making me sad. Tune back in to see Trey Young and the, the Atlanta Hawks just pulling some ridiculous stunt. I mean, what else is there to say? Wild. What, what, I, what, what I, do you think about the game? It was like late in the third quarter. They're up 26 or somewhere in the 20s. And I was like, well, this is done. Look, Philly, Philly had been building that lead the whole game. Atlanta had nothing. There was, there was literally no indication that that game was going to go any differently after that point. So I was like, look, there's, you know, a whole quarter here. I got some stuff I want to take care of. Let me, you know, I was in the other room. I was in my bedroom. The TV was on in the living room. And as I'm, you know, in the other room, I hear, with a chance to tie it, I was like, or, or to take the lead. And I'm like, <laughs> did he just say to take the lead? And I, like, jog out here. I'm like, are you kidding me? And even then, I expected Philly to just like come away with it, but mm-hmm. they just—I mean, teams lately have have just been—I don't know—soiling themselves down the down the stretch. I, I don't understand it. Like, I, how do you get away so so far from doing all of the things that built you that kind of lead? I don't understand how some of these guys, elite players, yeah. can't like. All right, calm down. Here we go. And, and honestly, it gives you a, a greater appreciation for what Chris Paul does for the Phoenix Suns because that type of stuff doesn't happen to Phoenix. Chris Paul is like, oh, okay, 7-0 run? No problem. Let me just hit this mid-range shot and you know, kind of tamp it down and, and bring it back to the Celtics. That's one of the things that they were missing for most of the season. When other teams made a run, they never really had somebody come up and calmly – hit a shot like various like COVID and, and whatever, but they, they got a little panicky too. Maybe this is just the season for teams to get really panicky. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I think you nailed it. Uh, specifically. I mean, you can go back to opening night. They build a 17 point lead against Milwaukee, set the tone for the season, nearly lose the game. Tatum hits a lucky bank shot and Giannis <laughs> misses a free throw as he did the other day, multiple times in All big situations. Long. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was the story of the season. They would get up big. You would not feel safe. They would prove you right, and they would either lose or barely win. <clears throat> yeah, and it was frustrating. Yeah. Very, you know, very frustrating. Very frustrating. And I'm I, looking back on it. I kind of understand a little bit about how they struggled through th- some things and the short turnaround. I, I, I believe now more than ever that that short turnaround really hurt them, maybe more than any other team. Uh, I know other teams were were close, but I think Boston was really 
hit hard for a number of reasons. And that I'm, I'm glad they have, in one way, the silver lining to the early exit is you get a full off season to, to or as full an off season as you could possibly have to rest and accept Jason Tatum who's going to go to the Olympics, but to, to rest and, and get themselves, you know, into, into some sort of like reasonable health so they can start next season. A more normal season, we hope to, you know, w- without a lot of these outside factors. Yeah. For sure. And I, I just wanted to talk about Philly because I thought it was funny. Uh, shout out to Trey Young and the Hawks. Hey, I mean, anytime you get a chance to make things. fun of Philly, that, that's, that's all right. It was a crazy <laughs> night. I was at the casino. I walked in. They were down 17 at the beginning of the fourth. I lost all my money and I checked my phone because you were <laughs> tweeting, Jack. So I was getting notifications for it. Yeah. And I was like, did they come back? So I had a similar yeah. experience to John. I wasn't watching it happen. And Jack was the uh, to tie the game for me. <laughs> and I watched them, Embiid missed two big free throws at the end of the game. I mean, I don't know, Jack, how many times I have to tell you, Ben Simmons, I, I, he's not I, good. Hey, no, he's, he's good at things, but he's not a good player to have on your team in the playoffs because he can be exploited. They had to take him off the floor. They exactly. took him off the floor in the fourth quarter. And literally, Seth Curry and Joel Embiid were the only Sixers to score in the second half, I think was the stat. Field goal. I don't even know how that's possible. I don't know how and that's they didn't, possible. They didn't have a field goal in the last six minutes of the game. Like, how do you have Joel Embiid on against your team and Atlanta? Not make a field goal? That's against the exactly. Atlanta Hawks. Like, I can see if that happens against a great defensive team. I can see if that happened to even like against like the Knicks, even, you know, a yeah. team that's known for deep. But it was the Atlanta Hawks. You can't score in the last six minutes against Atlanta. I mean, they're. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey. It's the same. It's the same thing for Milwaukee the other day against Brooklyn. That's oh, probably. my God. You're, like, I get it, and I had this whole big debate on – well, not debate, but I was making this point on Lockdown NBA where, okay, KD is going off, right? KD, KD's having this monster thing, and it doesn't matter. People were talking about how do you stop KD. You don't in that situation, but you know what you can do on the other end against the Brooklyn Nets, the worst defensive team? Now, they've been playing better in the playoffs, but still they're not a good defensive team, and they've got James Harden out there on one leg. Score a basket. Stop the run. It's Why? fine. It's okay when you're up 16 to trade some baskets. Okay, KD's going off. Okay, just, but trade some baskets. That's fine. Weather the storm. And then eventually he missed. And instead of having a chance at the end of the game to win to, to win for Milwaukee, they would have still had a six or eight point lead. So the pressure still would have been on. And not only that, like KD takes all the shots, but he's not going to take literally every shot. Someone else is going to face the pressure to hit a shot in that situation. And when you ramp up the pressure a little bit, KD doesn't care, but other guys could miss. And it just, the the inability for good teams with elite scorers to not hit a shot against bad defensive teams in both of these comebacks, I, it's, it's one of the most unfathomable, unfathomable <laughs> and inexcusable <laughs> things in yeah. this postseason. Like, how do you not score? That's my biggest question. I don't get it. Especially, how do you not put Giannis on Kevin Durant? That's that kills me too. They, like, they I like understand the, the notion of they don't want to tire him out. But... Excuse. Even so, we can like to me that is almost you know a moot point because you say okay, you put Giannis on and you you have a chance to block a shot or a chance, to, but okay, but let's just concede that Kevin Durant is on a legendary heater and right. that's fine. Like it doesn't matter who guards him. 
What matters is not letting him eat up that entire lead that you've built. That it, it's it's fine for him to go score 40 points in, you know, a short amount of time. What's not fine is you've got Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, all guys who can put the ball in the hole, and none of them did. That's where I really have my problem. Guys like Durant go off. Guys like Trey Young can go off. You can score on the other end. And not only do you score on the other end to match them point for point, when you miss, they get out into transition. You're cross-matched. You're, you know, guys get, two guys go to one guy. There's opportunities for Durant, for Trey Young, for some of these elite scorers to find a seam, rise up, and hit the shot. When you hit baskets on the other end, you go back and you set your defense. And you can figure out, okay, now let's, oh, here, here comes Durant. Let's let's pick him up right as soon as he pick, he crosses half court because he's walking the ball up. That just changes the entire pace of the game. It, it changes it changes how you can you can see everything that's coming rather than running back and then turning going oh, what is is that Kevin oh what like scoring a bucket stops everything and re reestablishes things in your favor not getting a bucket is blowing blows my mind and very clearly I'm worked up about it I don't blame you I was pissed too I was super mad I want obviously I mean I don't want Brooklyn to win I don't want them to be successful I mean, the, the thing that stood out to me, you mentioned Harden on one leg. Giannis has him in the post in crunch time. He takes a fadeaway against a guy with one leg. I mean, you're being guarded by him and Jeff Green, and you're like the yeah. most dominant guy since Shaq, and you can't score? <laughs> Come on. You don't, you don't. I don't care what the situation is with James Harden. It's like the one thing, if I know this, it's definitely in the scouting report. Don't post them up. There's If there's any one thing that he can do defensively is – Defend in the post because he's he's big and he's strong. Like he's but uh, he's underrated. His strength is underrated, James Harden. So no wonder he waved off the help because no one no one's really scoring in the post against Harden. Uh, you have to you have to be like real a really great post player, and there's there just aren't any great post players in the NBA anymore. Fine, that's been phased out. So what do you do is you Get him moving side to side. He has a hamstring injury. Don't go at him one-on-one. -on -one. They've packed the paint. They've done this like 300-style phalanx. There's just a little shell of people right around the paint. They're, they're clearly not going to let you get to the rim. So move the ball side to side. Set some picks. Do some handoffs. Get some stuff where, where they're moving. And Harden is just going to be like not, you know, not able to get over. This is very simple stuff. Like I'm not, I'm not reimagining basketball here. <laughs> Hit him with some simple stuff. You got a guy yeah. who's injured and very clearly did not move laterally the whole game. What are you doing with this individual? You know what I mean? Like, it's just – and and Budenholzer, where's Budenholzer in this? Like, guys, oh, DHOs. He's in the clown car. You know, handbacks. <laughs> get it. Like, okay, you're not – you can't go north-south, but get Harden moving side to side. Find something. Find a little seam that you can get in there. And then let them swipe and get fouls and get to the line and stop the game and rest and score some buckets. Like, I don't know, man. Milwaukee's a mess. I, can't, I couldn't believe what I was watching. John, hey, you might I, be a good I, candidate for the head coaching job in Boston. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if I, it's, I, I always joke that um, 
my role is kind of like one of a high school science teacher. Like you've got the fan base that in general, you want to learn things about basketball. So in general, the fan base is like, oh, high school science teacher knows, knows you know, well, enough about science to where I can teach things to people. These, these guys in the NBA are like quantum physics experts. But like <laughs> you can't if you, you can't get to that without the basics. It's like whenever I coach a, a camp and kids want to throw like behind the back passes and all this fancy stuff. And yeah. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you don't get to throw the fancy stuff until you can throw a regular bounce pass to that kid who's cutting for a layup. If you can't hit that bounce pass, then you're in no way going to be able to throw that behind the back stuff. And and I just want to see these guys do simple things, make simple plays. For so sure. that's I, my way of saying to be a crappy head coach. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I was saying Budenholzer needed to go after last year in the bubble, losing to the Heat like that. But he's just—I I don't really—I don't know what else there's to say about Mike Budenholzer. I don't think he should be the head coach, coach there. Well, I think for one year, it was against the Celtics. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Sure, exactly. Sure. And um, Middleton. Oh yeah. Middleton we don't have to get into it too much, but uh, it's shout out Paul George too. We don't have to talk about it too much, but I mean, Paul George went back to Indiana for the night, clutched up when Kawhi was out, took down the Jazz. Um, but. Before we get into the Celtics one more, I do want to ask you your opinion on the recent Luka slash Zion news. I personally don't think there's any semblance of a chance they get traded before they can actually get traded. But I just want to know your opinion on the whole drama. You you watch it. You do that like I could probably sit here and report without even having asked anybody. But I'll, I'll, I can say pretty confidently the Celtics are monitoring both situations. Just like oh, – yeah. 29 other teams or 28 <laughs> other teams are all monitoring. Oh, like yeah. the, the Pelicans and Mavericks are monitoring the each other. Like we're all, <laughs> we're all monitoring star players. Um, we did have a jump, create some chaos. Yeah. <laughs> the stuff with Luca is, you know, the Luca stuff is, is less concerning um, because he's at least had a consistent head coach and they can, work together and come up with, you know, different strategies. And they've had some, some success and they'll, they, they can figure out a front office thing. If both Vulgaris and uh, Nelson are both out, then great start over, come up with a plan, get some help around, uh, around Luca. And, and we'll see, he's going to sign that $200 million extension. That's not going to be an issue. And, and none of these guys get traded in, in their, you know, this young, you do everything you can. You do everything you can to keep these guys, these this level star, on your team at, at this age. Because Dallas, to to you know, Dallas can figure stuff out. They're they're a good enough city, big enough market where they can attract free agents. It's, it's nice in Dallas. New Orleans is my favorite city outside of Boston, but um, it's not everybody's favorite city outside of Boston. And it's a small market, and it's it's a little different. And now Zion. Three coaches in three years is that's problematic. And, you know, you go through, they have a little bit more consistent front office, but if they can't get a handle on that, then, you know, Zion's another one to watch. And Zion, especially because he really is one of the first players where taking the qualifying offer in restricted free agency isn't outrageous. And this is only going to get more so 
in the coming years. And whenever they do a new collective bargaining, not even new collective bargaining agreement, the new TV deal in three or four years, the money's going to get so big that qualifying offers are going to be like $20 million for these guys. And they're going to have to come up with a new system of, of these, um, these rookie contracts because right now the qualifying offer for a guy is, you know, four or 5 million. Jason Tatum's not going to, was never going to play for $4 million. You know, you, you reject that you become a restricted free agent and you, the team holds your rights and you, you know, you play that restricted free agency game. Teams want to be able to control. They, they draft these guys at 18 or 19. And when the, um, the, the age limit drops, whenever that does 17 years old, you draft them knowing that that rookie contract is going to be entirely deve- developmental. And you can't risk developing a guy for four or five years and then him taking the qualifying offer, entering re- unrestricted free agency, and then having the, the meat of his prime go somewhere else. Because yeah. that just turns basically small market teams into an actual farm system the Oklahoma City Thunder <laughs> draft these guys. They play, or, or New Orleans, wherever, draft these guys, develop them from 17 to 22, and then at 22 they say, yeah, I'm going to take the qualifying offer because the, the the salary cap has gotten so high that you know the, the qualifying offer is like $20 million or whatever. <laughs> and then you say, well, we, we will we'll pay you a little bit more. And they, eh, it doesn't matter. That's okay. My next contract, unrestricted with some of these teams, it's going to go nuts and not a problem. And teams will res- – and what's the net effect of that? Other teams, other guys' contracts will be smaller because guy teams will be lining up like, oh, this guy's going to opt out. This guy's going to take his qualifying offer. So we're going we're gonna to not do any contracts for two years here, you know, more than two years here. It's going to cause chaos throughout the league. So the next collective bargaining agreement, and I said this on my podcast – has to be just completely scrapped and redone because the money is getting so massive that the rules that have worked in the past, they are not going to work. The future of the NBA, I mean, the business side of it is is really kind of in flux. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I think small market teams might really be in trouble, especially Zion's been in the league for two years. He's played really one because he was hurt most of his rookie year. And he's already saying he wants to not be there anymore. He's serious. If I'm the pellet, like, I mean, there's not a lot you can do except for just tell him he's not being traded or whatever. But right. I mean, obviously you can try and put a better team. I mean, the Pelicans aren't just trying to lose. They have some quality players on their team. They just haven't been. They've made some dumb trades, in my opinion, at least. Like the Stephen Adams and Eric Bledsoe thing, I think was terrible. Because like, if you're talking like, oh, let's put guys who fit well next to a guy who only drives to the basket. Granted, Zion's elite at what he does. But let's put a center in the middle who can do nothing but stand in the paint blocking this guy. Let's let's get guys around the perimeter who can't shoot. It, it, I don't agree with the moves they've made, but Sam, I'll, I'll let you continue. Sorry. I just wanted to chime in. with. Well, that no. One. Yeah. I mean, you make, you're right. Steven Adams, not a good fit for Zion. And we talked about this last week, the week before about him potentially being traded to the Celtics. I mean, he's the same as Tristan Thompson. He's not going to be shooting if they were to, you know, trade. I think it was for Kemba. We were talking about that. Um, yeah. But yeah. I mean, the Pelicans, they've got Ingram, they've got Josh Hart, they've got Lonzo ball. They have guys that are quality young players, especially Josh Hart, who has emerged he was a real pain in the ass against Celtics when they blew the lead, as we talked about at the top of the show. 
uh, in New Orleans. That's what they did all year. He yep. was a killer. Defense, making threes. He had energy. After that, I wanted the Celtics to trade for him. I mean, it's not like he's playing with guys that are awful. Sure, Bledsoe, Steven Adams, not great fits. But you've been in the league for two years. Relax. Like, you should just be happy to be there. Most of them. I mean, Zion's a little different. He's been a star since he was 15, 16. But, I mean, they, they got to do something about this. There's too many guys asking to not be on the team anymore where they're playing. It's an issue. I think it's tough. I think it's especially it tough, tough for guys like Luca and Zion because they're so – I'm not going to take credit. I forget which tweet I read it in. But they're so ahead of the curve that they're wanting to compete right now at such a young age because they have the talent to. Most of the young guys we see coming into the league take a few years to get to that spot where they are able to compete. Like like guys like De'Aaron Fox, right? Like he's amazing, but he, he can't – you can't really see him leading a playoff championship contender yet. Maybe now, but you couldn't in his first two years. Zion and Luka are just so, so talented that Luka Doncic has proven that he can lead a team in a playoff series. He hasn't won one yet because his team – Kristaps Porzingis hasn't been great, but you know you can see you can see the talent there, and you can see Zion doing the same thing. So they're so ahead of the curve that they want to compete immediately, and these teams just aren't putting the right people. Like I'll give Dallas credit; they've done a better job of trying to be able to you know build around Luca. Porzingis just didn't really pan out. I, I thought it was a great deal at the time. I'm sure most people did, but it, it just takes teams longer, especially small market teams, to get to that point where they can compete. And I think that that is why we're seeing these guys, you know, say do something or I want out, which is like you said, Sam, it's kind of not great for small markets, but uh, that, that's at least what I'm thinking is going on. But uh, we can get into the Celtics a little bit more. Uh, I want to yeah. talk about the head coaches first, and then we can go into off season stuff. Um, I know Sam and I both really like Sam Cassell. I love Becky Hammond for the job as well. I think Emo Udoka would be great. Who are your top choices, uh, John, for the head coaching gig? Uh, you know, I, I started out with um, Carol Lawson as my that's number one. Um, you know, I, I heard, I heard, uh, Scal mention, uh, right after the announcement of the official press conference for Brad and Danny. And he said, I think they're going to hire Carol Lawson. And I said, that's, that's a great idea. Um, great. she, she's, you know, she ticks off all the boxes, you know, a little bit of familiarity with the, with the team, but you know, only a year. So she has her own ideas, um, the, the only one she doesn't tick off is, is any kind of head coaching experience at, at the NBA level. She has minimal mm-hmm. at the college level, but um, she's, you know, very smart. She, she played uh, successfully, but um, not like, you know, the point guards, like why Jason Kidd struggles, you know, why some of the elite players struggle is you know, they – so much comes naturally that they didn't, they didn't quite see some of the same things I think that uh, other, other people did. And uh, I think Kara is like one of those, like she was great, but had to work really hard to be great. So she learned a lot about the game. She's so well-respected. So uh, I think, I think if they could find a way to lure her back, uh, that would be uh, a real fantastic hire. Uh, so, you know, Emeo Delka uh, is, is certainly uh, another guy that, you know, he comes from the San Antonio coaching tree. He's a defensive-oriented guy, uh, a former player. You know, ticks off a bunch of boxes there. I think the Celtics are looking for a former player uh, at some level here, uh, someone who can relate to the players on some level. So a lot of people bring up Chauncey Billups. You know, he's he has that 
that um, reputation having led that Detroit Pistons team to a championship and leadership and everybody, everyone touts his leadership and togetherness. And I don't know how that would translate into a head coaching role, but uh, that that's a guy. Sam Cassell is certainly up there. There's a lot of names. Um, I don't think I'm dipping into the college game. Uh, I don't know that I really am looking at any of the former coaches that are, that are out there. Um, I certainly don't want like a Mike D'Antoni, an older guy. I think I want somebody who's a little younger, a little bit more relatable to the players. Um, so, so somewhere in that mold, I think that mix of people is, is what would make the most sense. Perhaps Brett Brown, also San Antonio coaching tree. Yeah, you know, I, I no, don't I'm think joking. I want to go around. Although, <laughs> from a, I would say this, from a podcasting slash media perspective, like I will, I will sit and listen to Brett Brown talk all day long. Like it would be 180 degrees going from uh, Brad Stevens to Brett Brown, because Brett Brown will sit there and spin a yarn in his old main ways, and he's fun to listen to. Um, probably that's where it, the advantages end. Yeah, that's it. He's got the accent. He's from New England. That's it. That's all yeah. you got. He helped the Celtics out for a couple of years Oaks, on the other end. That's it. Oaks style. Yeah. I like from, from a quote perspective, he'd be great. <laughs> That's oh, my man. top priority. Brett Brown. He'd be the best quotes. Amazing. Amazing. John, what was your initial reaction when all that news broke? That yeah, was a was crazy day. Man. I was surprised. Like I, I, I'm, I, I wasn't sure how much time Danny Ainge had left, but you know, him, him retiring was like, Oh, that's surprising. And then them saying, yeah, Brad's going to take over his job. I was like, what? That, that's, that's where, like, I really kind of wasn't sure of, like, what he's going to be the president of basketball operations. Like, yeah. And, and, but, you know, you think about it, his, his college time, like, evaluating players is something that a college coach does. You know, as much as he does, you know, as much as he coaches a team, maybe more. So that that's certainly something um, negotiating. I would I don't know what his time as a negotiator is, but like anybody that was in medical sales or whatever he was doing beforehand, you got to have some certain mentality to have some, you know, BS ability. Um, and he certainly has plenty of practice lying to the media. He lied to us every day. So um it, it's going to be interesting. It, my my initial shock has given way to a little bit more uh, curiosity. Um, I'm not 100% sure that the story they gave us about his departure uh, or, or how this all went down, I'm not 100% sure that's exactly how it went, but I've, that's just my own suspicions. You're in on the conspiracy? Um, I don't want to call it a conspiracy. Um <laughs> I, I do believe that Danny Ainge had, you know, was planning on retiring soon. Um, I think that plan might have been a little accelerated. This is my own personal opinion. I think I think that he might have been whatever it was. Maybe it was this year. Maybe it was next year. Whatever it was, I do believe that Danny Ainge probably wanted to quit. And 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 at some point, I don't know if it was the Kyrie stuff or what. That he was just like, you know what, I'm done. I'm out. Now, whether whether they said to Brad Stevens, you know, hey, 
what do you think about this job? The story is Brad's been in on all of this stuff and he's made calls and has been part of this decision-making process, which is another thing that he's lied to us about. Because whenever we ask him about it, he'd be like, oh, that's not my job. Like, um, well, they just told us that it was your job. Uh, and if they said, if they honestly said, hey, look, you've been in on this. We think you're good at it. Let's let's try it. What do you think? Then, okay, fine. That Then that tells me that he was kind of done with coaching. Um, I think there might have been some, like, uh, suggestion from ownership that was like, hey, you know, Brad, you should really put your hat in the ring for this. Like, oh, yes, I am interested in this job. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> uh, like, that's uh, – there There may have been some of that. That's, again, all my speculation. I don't know. Their, their story could very well be legit. But, you know, he, he, they, he is under contract for, you know, five more years or six more years or something like that. So um, I'm sure that finding something for him to do – if he didn't want to coach again was was a priority. I do think that they missed an opportunity not holding a full-on search for Danny Ainge's successor. Uh, even if it did end up being Brad Stevens, they missed a real chance to interview people and say, whoa, wait a minute, we got to get this person in here, maybe in a different yeah. role. Maybe we create a role for this person and and really kind of like shape things. So we'll see how the future how the future goes. Yeah, I, I agree. I remember when it first broke <clears throat> that Ainge was thinking about quitting or not being the GM anymore. You know, that was the first thing we all started thinking, well, you know, who who's it going to be? A lot of people were saying Ujiri from Toronto, um, that he he was a great candidate. And then it just broke that it was Stevens. And when I first saw the Stevens thing, I thought it was like a Doc Rivers situation in uh, L.A. where he was going to do both. Mm -hmm. And like that wasn't the case. And I was absolutely floored. I was like, "What? <laughs> I, I'm I'm bummed that he's not the coach anymore because I'm I'm afraid that he might not be replaced as well as as like he could be. You know, like those are yeah. Despite the the limited success, like they made the conference finals, never got the the hump. Like those are still shoes to fill. He's a pretty good sure, coach. Sure, like he he had a lot of success, and I don't think this past season was." entirely his fault as some people might say um i think that i do i do believe that this season and i know i do know that the the past couple of seasons did wear on brad stevens it's, um that that's for sure and i think when the opportunity did come to to be like hey i'm done with the coaching stuff i think he's he had a real hard look at like all right you know what the bubble just took too much out of me this season with the travel, not being with his family took too much out of him. All of that stuff was enough for him to maybe rethink exactly where in the NBA he fit. And I, I think there is a strong possibility of all of the different things that I've, I've kind of mentioned here, throwing out all sorts of wild, wild theories here, but I do, I do feel strongly that he missed like it became too consuming and he didn't want to be the guy that was pulled away from his family. Like he didn't want this job to be the job that, that destroys his family. Cause he truly does like love his family. He's not like one of those guys. that's like, yeah, yeah, I'll be back and goes into the office for 14 hours and then comes home at 10 o'clock at night and didn't see his family all day. Like he really does 
He's a true family man. So the opportunity to say, hey, look, I still want to be in the NBA. Being a coach in the NBA is not what I thought it was. Maybe maybe part of it is he, he doesn't like dealing with these young multimillionaires because that could be, you, you know, you're, anything that takes away from the basketball, I think, is what takes away from Brad's love of what he's doing. And the money and the other stuff and the, the fame and the fortune and the, and the side, whatever the sideshow is in the NBA, the business side, from a coach's perspective, that I'm sure was like, can we, can we just, I want to I get these, these sets down. Can we talk about how we're rotating on defense, please? Um, but ironically, he goes on to the business side to get away from that because at that point, it's all talent evaluation, like I said. He gets to go to college again without being in college. You know, he gets to go and watch these games. And when he does go on a recruiting trip, hey, let's take the family. Let's, you know, whatever. Like, if, he, if this summer, if he goes to Bosnia or wherever to, to scout somebody or over the winter, you're like, yeah, let, let's let's do a Croatian vacation with the kids. Like, that that kind of stuff, I think, Fair is line. is more up his line. <laughs> yeah. For sure. It definitely gives him more freedom, like you said. And I know Woj put out the reports. Oh, he could be, you know, tired. The bubble wore him out, blah, 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 all this narrative. I don't know how much I believe it. I think then you have all these conspiracy theories. Oh, they wanted to keep him on for the money and they wanted a new coach regardless. So they might as well keep him on. Yeah, that's the conspiracy stuff. But the bubble did wear on him. That's 100% true. Oh, yeah. I can only imagine. The bubble and the travel and not being, you know, with your family and all that stuff that that war on him that that stuff was was a little too much 100 mm-hmm. percent um i'm certainly looking forward to seeing who they hire as a new head coach i think it's definitely going to be weird not to see brad stevens on the sideline next season i think Great. at the same time like they said in the press conference a fresh perspective probably will do the team some good uh, especially with tatum and brown at the helm with that being said there are some trade rumors swirling obviously kemba walker is the name that comes up constantly nowadays i've personally thought off of a bunch of possible trades. I know Marcus Smart's another one. People are saying, hey, maybe getting him you know, in, in a trade now, getting some assets back so they can re-sign Fournier, blah, 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 all these things. I, I want to know where you stand on both of those fronts before I start bringing up potential trades I've thought of and Sam's thought of. Or... Well, um, I, I don't think that uh, Marcus Smart should be traded uh, just for the sake of being traded. Like, that's... That, um, that first of all, from an on-court perspective, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, second of all, from a business perspective, you're trading away the one guy that makes the salaries work in a superstar deal. Like you need his salary. If you're going to go for Bradley Beal, you need a guy that's, that's the other team would want. And that is a, a big enough salary that can, can make the entire deal work. Like Marcus Smart fits that bill. Like if another team is like, all right, we're going to give up Bradley Beal. Well, what do we want to get? If we're rebuilding, you want young, you want young guys, you want some draft picks, and getting a leader like Marcus Smart who can kind of like set the culture for the team, that makes sense. So if you if you are going to deal Marcus Smart, that I want to get a bigger return, and I, I want him in a deal that is you know helps helps the Celtics because otherwise you don't get that deal done. Also because you have to attach like eight guys. And the other team doesn't have eight spots. They're going to have to cut like a bunch. of. So you want to make sure that the deal is just right for as far as contracts and number of players and types of players and all of that stuff. But 
just giving up Marcus Smart to like make a lateral move, like, hey, Marcus Smart for Harrison Barnes. Like, no, 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 no. That's not what that's not what Marcus Smart does. His value to the team is is higher than his stats. It's higher than what you know the what you pay him. I understand why he gets paid what he does, but his value to the team is very great. Now, Kemba is a different story. I understand that ownership. Uh, you know, they're not exactly enthused about paying a high tax bill. And so that might cost them Kemba. Now, if the owners are cool with paying whatever the tax is, then great. Keep Kemba, make him a six man. New coach can come in and be like, hey, I'm, I'm bringing you off the bench. And if you don't like it, then we can move you by the deadline. But that, that that's our plan. Uh, but if you do have to move them, there's the scenarios I've been laying out, there's two. You trade him for... You give up draft capital, which I don't want to do, but you give up some draft capital, trade them to like the Knicks, and um, they, you know, they acquire him for nothing. You get a thirty-six million dollar TPE, and then you can use that to acquire the, you know, Bradley Beal, take him into the TPE, and then you can just say, look, you don't have to take Tristan Thompson if you don't want to. Now we don't have to match the salaries exactly the same way. <laughs> we can, you know, we can take. Bradley Beal, and we can just send you the play, the exact players that you want. Like, okay, Marcus Smart, sure. Romeo Langford, sure. Aaron Neesmith, sure. It doesn't have to match necessarily. So that's one route. Or you take um, Kemba and the, the, the deal that I've been looking at is a, a trade to the Clippers, and you say, okay, a few spare parts that maybe don't equal up to the level, the, the talent level that Kemba still has, by the way, Still a good basketball player. Yes. Uh, you say, okay, we have to get off his contract. We know the injury history. So we're going to take 65 cents on the dollar, 75 cents on the dollar here. So you take Patrick Beverly, you take Luke Kennard, and then, you know, hey, some other guy. Rondo? You know? Well, you know, maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Sam just loves Rondo. You Sam know? just loves Rondo. Yeah, I think he might be done playing. <laughs> he hasn't played much in this series. Right. And so whatever. So you, you take back a few players, you flip Patrick Beverly if you can, you keep Luke Kennard as a shooter off the bench and you you try to use him in a better role. And the third guy, whatever you, whoever it is, you figure it out. If you want to keep him as bench depth, you try to flip him for nothing and you reduce your tax bill that way. So you turn $36 million into $14 million. You save 22 and that that's meaningful from a tax perspective, but you get useful a useful player or players out of it and you don't give up your draft capital, and you still have an opportunity to go out and get your third star, Bradley Beal, at the trade deadline. So that, that's how I see those scenarios. Yeah. Sam, um, I thought you were going to say something. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, I obviously, like, thoughts. Jack knows. All I've been talking about yeah. is Al Horford for Kemba. Just because, <laughs> I yep. mean, the money works. Uh, his contract gets smaller, I believe, as it goes. What, what is it? It's not guaranteed at the end, Jack. It's, this upcoming season is around twenty-eight. The year after that, it's non-guaranteed. Could dip down to fourteen million. And, and he played well when he played this year. When when they yeah, allowed him to play. Sure. The problem is that it, it's it's again goes back to the issue of the tax, and you're moving you're moving Kemba to get under that tax line. And or not under that tax line necessarily, but to minimize that tax, and you're trading for a guy who's making twenty eight million dollars, your tax your your overall savings is eight million dollars. Um, now, granted, your savings next year after you say sorry, Al, um, 
is more significant. And that's, again, up to the owners to decide, is that is that how you want to go? Is that how they want to do business? But I would say that it's probably, that's probably not going to accomplish what the Celtics want to accomplish from a business perspective. Now, maybe it does, and and great, but I don't think that that's the direction. Yeah, I, I have much yeah. to learn about the business. I, I mean, <laughs> I remember when the Daniel Tice trade happened, I was beside myself. I didn't know what to do. I mean, that's all people were saying was the tax line. And, I mean, this team right now is not in the position to where I think the owners would want to go above that like we've been talking about. I know in the past they had said that they had no problem paying the money, but, I mean, obviously it's going to come with results. It was a down right. It was, but here, yeah. The, 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 issue, the issue is the, um, the repeater tax. And that, that, I don't know how familiar you guys are with, with all of that, but so if you are a taxpayer in three out of four seasons, that following season, you, you pay the repeater tax. And so the first, the first $5 million you're over the tax in general is $1.50 per dollar that you're over. And so that's a total of what, $7.5 million. It's two fifty when you pay the repeater tax. So you pay an extra dollar. You know what I mean? So wow. that, that works out to be in, in, so the tiers go every 5 million and the regular tax is a dollar 50 in the first 5 million, a dollar 75 in the second 5 million, two fifty in the third 5 million it keeps Ooh. going up and up and up and up. So yeah. the example I've been using is let's pretend the Celtics are right at zero, like right at the tax line paying zero tax and you re-sign Evan Fournier for $20 million, which is not the number I think it's going to be, but just for round numbers. Mm -hmm. The tax on that's going to be $45 million. So real dollars, you're spending $65 million on Evan Fournier, right? That's why that's why this whole conversation about Kemba is happening. It's brutal. Repeater, repeater tax, you're like, you're going up significantly higher than that because you're adding a dollar for every dollar on top of that. So that's why if you look at the Golden State Warriors payroll, it's so massive, but Boston doesn't have what the Warriors have or the Lakers have or the Knicks have. Um, the Warriors have their own building that they just built and they get all of the revenue from that building, including when they have concerts, including when they have other events come in there. When those owners have events and they fill that building, that's all money that's coming into their pockets. Um, the Lakers own their own regional network. The Knicks own their own regional network. The Celtics neither own their own building nor own their regional network. They own a piece of it. They own a piece of NBC Sports Boston, but not the whole thing. So they don't have revenue streams. When you know Taylor Swift comes to the TD Garden, that money's going into um, <laughs> you know the Jacobs family's hands, the owners of the Bruins. They're the ones who. Um, are, are benefiting from that. The Celtics owners do not. And so while the team's value has jumped from 300 and whatever million that they paid for it to 3 billion, unless they borrow against the value of that or sell a piece of the franchise to somebody to get an infusion of cash, they don't have the same financial um, advantages that some of the other teams do. Brooklyn, the, the Nets, mm -hmm. they, own, they own the Barclays Center. So like that is an understandable consideration of why Boston's not playing in the same financial ballpark as a lot of these other big market teams. And so 
you have to take these considerations into account. And so when last season, when they made the Daniel Tice trade, they had to get under the tax because that, remember I said the repeater tax is three, three out of four years. Right. Mm-hmm. So if they had paid it last year, they would have been, that would have been year two, I believe, of paying the tax. Two out of three that they paid the tax. And so they're definitely going to pay the tax this season and next season. So that would have been three of four. Uh, and so the following season would have been the repeater tax while, while Jason and Jalen are both under contract in their extensions. But by getting under the tax this past season, they started the clock at zero again. So now if they pay this year, you go three years out and you say three out of four years, it's that following season. So you get like two seasons of not paying the repeater and then saying mm-hmm. like, hey, let's see what we can do. And, you know, maybe they dip under the tax again somewhere down the road. But yeah, yeah. it was really important. That saved them like actual, real tens of millions, maybe more. That's crazy. That's why yeah. one trade can do that. But yeah, yeah, I'm glad you gave us that explanation because I know I know Sam and I, well, I Sam no more than I, but the money. yeah, no, <laughs> you when the Tice trade came around. Yeah, I know. Sam I know about the eye test. Upset. I know who I think is good, and that's about it. I mean, the I business, know about the game, but. and I, I just like I just did this um, the past couple of nights. I explained the Kemba stuff on my podcast last night on, on today's podcast, and then the, the Tatum, how much the Celtics saved by him not making All NBA, and the, the the lesson is after all of that complicated crap, is that doing business in the NBA is hard, and Basically, when they came out with the collective bargaining agreement many years ago, they had a set of rules. And teams looked at that and go, okay, here are all the loopholes that I found. And teams operated under those loopholes. And when they renegotiated the next collective bargaining agreement, they said, okay, here are all the ways we're going to close that lo- those loopholes. And then teams said, oh, okay, well, here are new loop- loopholes. And they did all of those things, and they circumvented the cap that way. You do that three, four times. Now we have a collective bargaining agreement that's like three times the size of the original one. And each provision in there is meant to close loopholes from the last one and the one before and the one before that. And you have now you have things like cap holds and exceptions. And if the, the Celtics trade away Kemba for nothing and get a traded player exception, it doesn't count towards the tax, but it does count towards the cap. So you don't really fall under the cap if you trade away Kemba and get a TPE. Like, if you trade away Kemba and you get a TPE for $36 million and you sign and trade uh, Evan Fournier out for whatever he makes, let's just say $20 million, and you get a $20, 20 million TPE and you're like, wow, we just saved $50 million. We're under the cap. Mm-hmm. Nope. Because <laughs> the, team, the, the NBA says, well, you have $50 million there that you could spend on somebody that you can trade for somebody. We're not going to let you go out and spend cap space to sign a max guy and then trade for a max guy and then trade for a $20 million guy because now you're circumventing the cap. The whole point of this is you do have a player for $36 million. We just don't know who it is yet. So <laughs> so we're counting that against your cap. You don't have to pay a tax on it because you're not actually spending real money, but we're just going to put this little placeholder here that is going to hold that spot because when you do get a player that makes $36 million or up to that, then we can you we can figure out how much tax you're paying. But they're not going to let you play games and fill fill spots 
and then have some mechanism to go get other max guys. That that's not going to happen. So at that point, why aren't they allowed? This may be a stupid question, but I'm trying to figure it out. Why aren't they allowed to sign people with the TPE? Because I know you can only trade for it, but if that is just there for them to spend and they can't, you know what I'm saying? Like, why can't they use it right. to sign free agents? Because you didn't have that. You didn't have that space to begin with. You're not. Okay. You're not creating space. Gotcha. That's that's allowing like you didn't let that player leave to create the space. It's it's basically it's called a non-simultaneous trade. So you trade Kemba to New York for a TPE, and then you trade into that TPE Bradley Beal. Let's say that's how it goes. The NBA in effect treats that as a three-team trade that has taken months to complete. All right, and that's gotcha. why it's there. So it was eventually considered a three-team trade, but it's it's a non-simultaneous trade. So you just get this like coupon, be like, we're still doing business with that. We're just waiting. You got one year to kind of like figure out how to spend that right. coupon. Gotcha. I like the coupon analysis. That, that I like that. that. That makes it make sense in my head. Um, all right. So yeah, Kemba trade. Obviously, Marcus Smart, you're not on board with. The last thing I know As I want to bring up, be. Sam. John <laughs> showing his big brain on the From the Raptors <laughs> podcast today. Um, last thing I wanted to bring up, and unless Sam, barring anything else I'll you wanted to talk stuff. about, just small stuff. Um, free agents. Obviously, Celtics are yeah. probably going to have a few roster spots. I can't imagine they bring Shemi Ojale back. I feel like that's come to the end of the line. Carson Edwards could be finding his way out of Boston through a trade uh, if they feel like that. Taco Fall, Trevor Waters, another two way deals, but still, I-, I can't imagine they bring either of them back. Uh, it's just my opinion. So they're going to have some of these spots. Obviously, not a lot of money to spend it with. I've thought up some, you know, cheap free agents I like. I- I'm thinking James Ennis is one. I saw Alex Caruso, but the Lakers might sign him back. Tony Snell's there as well. These cheaper guys. Is there anybody you had your eyes on uh, for these spots? Um, I don't know that I've had my eyes on anybody. But we're we're talking about that same level of of guy. It it, it really depends on. Right now, it depends on the Kemba trade and and the Evan Fournier signing. Do you trade Kemba or not? If you do, do you get a TPE or is it players? Who do you get in return? So, you know, I'm looking at the potential for uh, – I've been really looking at more potential TPE candidates because the Celtics do have 11 point – not just $11 million or so left on the Gordon Hayward one. They have Cantors so, too. They have, five they, have Cantor, Cantor, right? they have five million with Cantor. They have the eleven with Hayward. They have the Cantor's is four point seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tice's is five million. Poirier's there too, right? Four. Um, no, they they have uh, Jeff Teague at one point six, and they have Vincent Poirier at like three hundred thousand, yeah, yeah. which is going to expire. <laughs> so that's gotcha. that's you know those two they're they they might not use, but they you know they have them, and you never know you could take somebody in that way. Um, so that that's kind of where I've been more focused. But it's it's really we're looking at reclamation projects, I think. Um, so. Um, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. Like th- those names, those names are fine. Those those are the types of guys. Um, they're not going to sign. They can't sign and trade anybody. They can't sign. Oh, they can't sign and trade for somebody. That's that's the thing to to remember as well because that hard caps them. So and, like dreams of Duncan Robinson are dead. Is that what? Yeah, you're saying? <laughs> Duncan Robinson, no Lonzo Ball. Um, common names that keep coming up. 
Yeah. The Celtics receiving somebody in a sign-in trade, hard caps them. Uh, another mechanism that they're trying to use to prevent cap circumvention. Uh, and so they're, they're too close to the hard cap line. So they, they, they can't, they can't receive anybody like that, but, but yeah, so, so the names you brought up are fine. Uh, we're going to be looking at like the Alfred Paytons of the world. Like, I don't know if that's the type of <laughs> player no, that we're looking at. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, Sam, I know there were some other things you wanted to bring up, so I'll let you, I'll take the floor. That was the only thing I wanted to ask. Yeah. About. So, so really like as a, from a overview perspective, what is the ideal off season from you, John? What do you think is the most ideal, you know, if you, if you could be the GM without being just a science oh. teacher, <laughs> how would you want things to go? Um, I, I'm going to assume realistically, like in a fantasy world, I want yeah, them to pay the tax no matter yeah. what um, and, and keep Kemba and maybe bring back Fournier. Um, but realistically, I think you trade Kemba to the Clippers, you get that package um, and you flip. You can keep Kennard, you flip. Beverly and maybe player number three, unless it's Terrence Mann, you somehow magically can can get Terrence Mann from them, and then that maybe settles your backup point guard type of role. Um, but if you don't, and you get like Yogi Ferrell, then you know, as, as somebody like uh, Ryan Bernardoni suggested that trade, then you know maybe you you keep Yogi as a, a potential third string point guard. And, you, you know, you go out and you, you use the TPE to trade for another point guard type. Um, or you use one of those to trade for a stretch big. Like, again, reclamation projects, I, you know, you got to take your swings. Like, on a, like a Wancho Hernan Gomez in Minnesota who had a crappy season last season. Like, he was, he was not good. But I looked at his, you know, his numbers shooting as a starter – He's shooting almost 40% from three as a starter. He's shooting 32% from three as a reserve. So, hey, well, if we look at things realistically, you maybe you do start him as, as a stretch four with Smart and Tatum and Brown and Robert Williams, and you you get that shooting. If you can you get that shooting, then fine. It's a way to not let that TPE expire. You bring a guy in. He's got one year left on his contract, and then next the next season, I believe, is not guaranteed. Yep. So you say, all right, let's bring him in. If it's if he sucks, if it's a total mistake, well, it's it didn't cost you anything because you use the traded player exception. So maybe you get a second round pick that doesn't convey. Um, you maybe get a guy that's 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 useful. If you don't, bench him. Goodbye. Non guaranteed next year. Good luck in free agency or you know going overseas. Um, but you gotta take you gotta take these swings, in my opinion. So I, I'm looking at guys that are on short deals and the other consideration is you know if you can get you're not going to offer evan fournier any more than two two years i should say on his deal so realistically if he can do two years 35 million then you 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 show tatum and brown like look we're committed to this but also we've got an eye on the 2023 free agency class which if bradley beal now here's another scenario bradley beal they're they're hiring a new coach in washington new coach comes in Bradley Beal says, wow, I kind of like this person. I'm going to opt into my final year 
He doesn't go for a trade. He sticks around, and then he says, "I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you two years under this coach because I like this person." But then I'm going into free agency. Well, that's two years from now. So that free agent class, that's a, a class that also has Nikola Jokic. It's got Joel Embiid. It's got a ton of big names. So you got to position yourself just in case one of those big names wants to go and you've got Tatum and Brown kind of at their peaks. And maybe one of those players wants to come to Boston, right? So ideally, if I'm signing guys to, to contracts, it's two-year deals. I'm getting guys on one or two year with one or two years left on their contracts. And I'm building out a bench with some size at the guard. So, you know, the Celtics can stop going super small when guards are out there. You've already got Peyton Pritchard, who's going to be small. Uh, I'm, I'm going for a stretch big somewhere or some kind of big that can shoot. Maybe that just means re-signing Luke Cornett. Not great, but, you know, that that's an option. And then I've really got to look at, the potential for a, a third big just in case. And again, that could be just Luke Coronet, but um, I'm trying to find the guys that kind of fit, that give Tatum and Brown two opportunities here. One, to have a successful team around them that gives them what they need, but two, give them some opportunity to scan the league, look at guys that they might want, understand the Celtics are, are building towards cap space in a couple of years and you have the opportunity to stay in Boston and we can look for guys that you want, that you want to play with and, and maybe bring them in and really give you a chance to, to take off over the last few years. It's all about those last few years of the contract with them because you want them to re-sign after that to their next big deals, their five-year yeah, right. contracts after that. So. A little complicated, so I, I know I'm not exactly with specifics with names in that because it could be it could be anybody, and it depends on so much that I don't want to get too married to too many names. But th those are the types of moves that I'm looking for. Well, now you got me excited because after seeing the Sixers <laughs> game from yesterday, all I can think about is Joel Embiid in 2023 because <laughs> I think he would be fantastic as a Celtic with his attitude. <laughs> yeah, so now I I'm am. Admittedly, not a fan of Joel Embiid, but um, which is fine. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe by then he will have learned some lessons, and who knows? Yeah, I love me some Joker too. You bring that name up. That now, Nikola Jokic is a different story. He's fantastic. Uh, too. I, would, I wouldn't mind MVP. like if, if in a couple in of years, you know, if that you know, look, it's not. If I say Jokic comes back next season. And Jamal Murray's not fully healthy, and you know Michael Malone somehow decides like, hey, look, I'm gone, or they fire him. You're like, you know, in a couple of years, within the next couple of years, if they if they get rid of Malone, if they, I don't want to say underachieve because they just ran out of gas in this one, but yeah, yeah. look, Jokic likes Malone, and if, if for some reason they let Malone go, and if if they do something that pisses off Jokic right around his free agency. Uh -oh. Then <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's a shorter know. flight home from Boston. <laughs> That's true. There you no go. Pitch. Bingo. He can, he can have his angry siblings on the sideline at the Garden That's instead of <laughs> the ball arena. He does have very angry siblings. Amazing, That's fantastic. Amazing. The yeah. last thing before you go, I I'm yeah. sure you saw this today. If you didn't, then I'll be enlightening you and making your day. Uh, Dakairi 
the guy, he's writing a book on Kyrie, yeah. or it's part of the book. You saw that, right? Toucher and Rich tweeted it out. They talked about it on the show today. Uh, Jack, did you see that? I sent it to you no, guys. So in, in this little article, is like an ex- excerpt from the book, and it talks about how that Nets team came together, and you find out uh, that the original talking actually came before the All-Star game. Like, that was, they were already in on it in with the Warriors in a game that the Celtics lost and then they had a horrible week after that um, and he convinces Kyrie or Kyrie I think Kyrie was the one that sold him Kyrie was already over it but it was this whole story about it I mean yeah, isn't, yeah. isn't that just infuriating after all the yeah. stuff we just went through this month of Kyrie <laughs> and that's just the cherry on top of the yeah <laughs> I, I my take on Kyrie has been a little bit different than everybody else's I think um, so first of all, yes, um, plotting to leave your team for the entire season, not requesting a trade or, or just, just quietly stewing, uh, it's not, that's not good. Um, the player kind of plotting to, to leave and all of that is not great, but I will say that I'm sure Boston fans wouldn't mind if Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal are hanging out a lot in Tokyo and plotting for Bradley Beal to request a trade and put Boston on a list. So we have to be careful as we all joke about, hey, Tatum gets to go tamper in Tokyo. Like we got to be careful to not talk out of both sides of our mouth to be like, I can't believe that they tampered in Boston. Players conspired (laughs) to play together. How dare you, Jason Tatum, please go do this. How dare you, Kyrie? Like, I can't, yeah. I can't accept that. I can't accept that. Um, yeah. But at the same time, what, what I'm hopeful, what I wish would happen, and now this is where I started to cover the team full time. So I really know standing in this, and, and Kyrie has had somewhat of an adversarial relationship with the media. So in that, in that expert, it, it explain how his his grandfather died and he went into a depression. And the only thing that I wish had happened differently, okay, he changed his mind. Things changed. He didn't want to be here anymore. Um, He internalized a lot. And he did say that he regretted not going to therapy, which is is a big admission. Um, that, That is important. The only thing that I wish would have been different is that he could have gone to the Celtics PR staff or somebody in the organization and say, you know, this is what happened, or I've just gone through a personal thing. Um, I need a break. I need, I need to like have some time away from the media or something. Like if, if a member of the Celtics front office or the, or the PR staff would have come to us and said, Hey, look, Kyrie has gone through this, or he's gone through something. We're, we're keeping it private, but for the next couple of weeks, let's, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna put Kyrie out. We're gonna give him his time. He's gonna take some time away from the team, whatever. And sure, we would have speculated, a lot of people would have speculated. That's just a natural thing that happens now, especially in the age of social media. But I think we would have respected. I, I know the guys on the beat. I think that all of us, or at least most of us, would have had like an understanding, like, okay, you know, some personal tragedy. We're, we'll We'll, we'll cut him some slack here, and we're not going to dig. We're not going to pry. Like, you know, and when people ask us, say, hey, look, he's going through a personal thing. We're just leaving him alone for a little while. 
I feel like I feel like if that had happened, maybe you know, maybe nothing would have changed, but the perception might have been a little bit different. So, um, and I'm not blaming Kyrie for not doing that. Like that's he handles things on his in his on his own terms and and whatever. That's fine. I just wish he felt more comfortable, kind of explaining to to us a little bit because we're the one people ask us you ask us people on twitter ask us being around who are around the team what's going on and we're like i don't know and then the more people don't know the more they fill in the blanks people always want to fill in the blanks people cannot accept not knowing so they say they start to speculate and at least if we had some level of guidance we could have cut down on the speculation a little bit and it might have been a little bit easier for him and he might have still left, but maybe it wouldn't have been so, so you know, with so much animosity. Right. I, sure. I also, one thing you mentioned is, you know, using the media as like kind of like a, you know, like to express what's going on. Obviously, like you said, people come to you asking that. Not that, you know, he, like you said, he handles it his own way. He doesn't have to tell them what's going on. But had he said something about what had happened, I mean, you saw what happened with Isaiah two years before, people would have rallied with him yeah sure sure and like again like he doesn't he doesn't owe us anything right he's his own man and 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 i respect all of that um but i i do understand that and i've seen i've seen the the back and forth between players and family members on twitter the media is kind of reviled by some people and they think that they think that some of us and, and you know frankly some some people in the media are kind of sketchy right they have motivations they don't they don't want to they don't care about people's feelings they um my my one wish in all of this is that uh as far as how media is perceived is to understand like look some of us are like there's there are people who speculate there are the you know the talking heads the bait show type of people there's sports talk radio people there's beat writers there's, you know, diff- there are different types of media. And the, I really push back on when players say the media says blah, 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 you know, because they would not accept it if I say, well, NBA players believe blah, 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 because right. NBA players are different. Like, I can't lump Kyrie Irving in with Kyle Korver, completely different people, you know, like I can't lump those guys in with Steph Curry or Jalen Brown, or you know anybody. Like some have shared experiences, and some groups of NBA players have similar shared kind of narratives. But you can't lump any one group of people in any way, anywhere, in any form into one collective kind of monolith. You can't do that. I'm Greek. You can't lump Greeks into well, you know those Greeks. Can't do that. We're all John different. and Giannis. Very right. similar. Exactly. <laughs> like me and Giannis were like, boom, exactly. But so when players are distrustful of the media, I understand that. Uh, at the same time, the media, quote unquote, involves so many different people and so many different types that I, I, I just wish there was some kind of delineation where, okay, you don't like, so don't go to sports talk radio, but you, know, you can go to certain people, whatever, get your story out. Players do have to understand, like, people don't like blanks. Human brains fill in blanks all the time. They, right. if, if they don't know it, they'll make an assumption about it. 
that's how our brains work. And so same thing with Kyrie. People will assume things, and then he's going to come out and fight those assumptions. He does have to take control of his narrative as a public person. Like, that's part of the deal with playing in the NBA. I, I hate to say it, but being an NBA player, being a professional athlete, part of the deal, part of, part of accepting that money is you got to deal with the media. And you, you have to understand how to play it and control your narrative. And the, the players who do that well are the ones who are going to be perceived well. And some players don't care about how they're perceived. But you also, if you don't care how you're perceived, you can't be, like, upset when you're not perceived well. For sure. For sure. I, I know. I personally like the stomping thing, even going back there. I yeah. never we, we talked about it. I didn't really care. I know some fans are outraged. It's just it's just a whole you get into a whole. Did that upset you, John? Conversation. You did groan. I'm just curious. I, I wasn't upset, like fan reaction. I, again, I, I I I'm not upset necessarily that he did it because fans just spent two whole games, you know, chanting expletives at him so like i said before when you can't you can't be like upset that Kyrie conspired to leave and then be happy that jason tatum's conspiring to steal a player you can't spend two full games chanting f you Kyrie," and then when Kyrie <laughs> does something demonstrative to you know respond you can't be like oh i can't believe that you know <laughs> that's like poking yeah. somebody and when that person pokes back going assault assault like, no, 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 no. That's you, a lot of the NBA. But they, they get yeah. hit. So, yeah, right. So, like, I'm not too worked up. But at the same time, at the same time, the former player in me, if I see that, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, like, mm -hmm. when I see you stepping on my logo, if I'm a player on the floor and I see yeah. you stepping on my logo, I'm like, wait a minute. Who the hell do you think you are? Because I have a sense of team and pride and all that stuff. So if I was a player and I saw that happen, that next game, I would have found some time. Like if I was Grant Williams, if I was a Grant Williams level player, and I would have, I would have found like some point in the third quarter to make sure I boxed them out a little extra, you know? Mm. And, you know, if, if he happened to, if I had to box him out into the stanchion or something like that, I'd, I'd let him know that I don't like your disrespect of my team. So from a player perspective, from a team kind of like protective of my team and my city and my fans, I get it. But from a human perspective, mm. it was overblown. So yeah. th there's layers to it. And yeah, my, my what, issue is not so much with the action of himself. The one problem I have is people saying it doesn't matter because if it didn't matter, he wouldn't have done it. Sure. Jack, I mean, he wouldn't he have done it. He specifically did something to be yes. disrespectful. Yes. There's no and doubt I, about that. He I meant understand. disrespect by Exactly, it doesn't affect exactly. me, but John exactly. nailed it, it on the head. I'm me. more upset that nobody did anything about it because those yeah, guys I, should care, and they didn't. You see, see, the point I brought up was the players who would do something about it, i.e. the Marcus Smart, i.e. the Tristan Thompson, are both friends with him. Like, they Tristan Thompson spent all the year. But, but you're not going to do – like, I understand yeah, right. that purpose it's from true. a team. It's true. But the, they're, they're buddies. Like, I, I don't care if you get traded. You're still friends, and you still know him from there. So you're not going to go and, like, you know, push him around or something. And right. and then you get to the people who might not like him, i.e. Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown's not going to go out there and, like, push somebody out of the floor. Jalen Brown's going to sock so, him with his hard pass. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just, there was nobody on the team, unless it is a Grant Williams, like you said, John, who I just think at that point you're too young and not going to get the backup and support of those veterans who are friends with Kyrie. So it, it was just a, a weird space to be in. Like, if you're talking like a random player who they have no connection with does that, I'm sure Tristan Thompson pushes them to the floor. So, but it's like they're buddies. That's that's just what I pulled from right. it, in my opinion. Too many buddies. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, when you break it down, and this is when the people are like, you're really talking about this. When you break it down <laughs> and you say, why do you think he should punch him? Well, he stepped on that logo. Like, yeah. like you know, it's, <laughs> at its core, but this is, this is why I, like, I, I framed this as Kyrie stepping on the logo is sports anger. Like, yeah. I am not actually angry that he stepped on the logo. I I am I understand though in the sports sense, like I said, he did something demonstrative in an effort to be disrespectful. So it's not that he stepped on the logo specifically; it's that Kyrie meant to disrespect Boston, the team, the city, the fans, whatever it was. He meant a level of disrespect, and he conveyed it in this manner. And so, sports-wise, that that inspires sports anger, which is not real anger. Once the yep. game is over and, you know, you wake up in the morning the next day, you should be fine. But if you're sitting there at the, you know, at work with a coffee and going, like, can you believe that? I can't believe – I want to <laughs> fight him right now. Like, yeah, like, if you're sitting there with, with you know, your friends at work, you know, at a lunch and, and talking about how, hey, you, you think we can jump him when he gets to the bus? Like, then you've got problems. <laughs> but, like – you know, yeah. express your sports anger, boo him, and all that stuff. Like, that's all in bounds. Like, anything that happens sports anger-wise, that's all in bounds. But the actual, like, real life, like, I'm still pissed about this, you know, a month later. All right, let it go. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But uh, Big Baby yeah, it, very upset. Big <laughs> Baby got real mad. Oh. He got real mad. But, uh, yeah, uh, thank you so much for joining us. I don't know, Sam, is there anything else you wanted to bring up no, before I'm we good. Yeah, wrap up thanks, here? Thanks, John. Appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, make sure to follow John Reds Army underscore John on Twitter. Did I get that? Get that correct? correct. I believe. Uh, but yeah, anything else you wanted to say before we wrap up? And just to let book. you know, I, I, I will be titling. Up? I will be titling this uh, Celtics keeping their eye on Luka Doncic. Uh, just. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, and, and Zion. But yeah, Corrales colon. <laughs> anything else you want to say before we let you go here? Oh, I appreciate you having me on, guys. Thank Thanks you. Thank you so much for joining us. You guys can follow us at Bannertown USA. You can follow John uh, at Reds Army underscore John. I'm Jackson on NBA and Twitter. And Sam, go ahead and wrap us up. Yes. Follow the guys. Follow John at Reds Army John underscore. Listen to Locked on Celtics every day of the week. He's got something new for you. Uh, of course, yeah. follow Jack at Jackson on NBA. You can follow Bannertown at Bannertown USA. You can follow me at Sam LaFrance NBA. That is our show for today. Goodbye. <laughs>